0: we are living in a world of rapid change a world of mounting complexity a world full of information but very few answers let's face it it can feel complicated and the more complex issues appear the more difficult it is to find our way But what if the answers we seek aren't as complicated as we think what if i told you god is not a god of confusion but a god of clarity What if, instead of pushing forward without direction, we return to the foundation that God created for us? What if we decided to reject the confusion our world is presenting to us? What if we decided to get back to basics? Well, good morning once again. So grateful to have you with us here at Bell Shoals. My name is Corey Abney. I serve as a lead pastor. And we have been for the past several weeks in a teaching series called Back to Basics where we're looking at some foundational aspects of marriage, family, children, and intimacy. And we've talked about what it means to be men and women to carry out God's design as men and women. We've talked the past couple of weeks about what it looks like to meet the needs of our spouses in the context of marriage. And today we'll talk about God's design for sex and intimacy and what it looks like to live well within the parameters of his design. And everything in this series really comes down to this very simple question. And I'd love for you to ponder it just for a moment as we begin today. Do you believe that God's will for your life is best? It's worth thinking about. Do you really believe that God's will for your life is best? God's will for your marriage is best. God's will for sex and intimacy is best. God's will for your children is best. Do you really believe in these most pressing matters of life, these most pressing matters of family, of marriage and children, do you really believe that God's will for you is best? See, we live in a world that does not believe God's will is best. We live in a world where we are all naturally inclined To lean into desires and ambitions that contradict the will of God. We often convince ourselves that our way is the best way. That our feelings would never betray us. We often lean into a pattern of living that contradicts the will of God because there there are times when the will of God just doesn't make sense or there are times where the will of God seems to infringe on what we feel is best or right in the moment. And so we live in a world where the will of God is not valued and treasured. In fact, as we'll discuss today, the will of God is viewed as antiquated or old-fashioned. And so we keep pressing into our own desires, our own feelings, our own perspectives, and I just want to submit to you today, I think there's a better way. And at the core of who I am as a person, not even a pastor, just as a person, I believe with all of my heart that God's will is best for us. I believe, I just want you to know where I'm coming from. If you're new to Bell Shoals or you're new to Christianity, so glad you're here. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. I've lived life long enough to know that my way is not always the right way, that my feelings do betray me, that at times when, when God's will doesn't seem to make sense to me, eventually, either by doing things the right way or the wrong way, it will come to make sense. So I just want you to understand today as we talk about the gift of sex and we talk about God's purpose for intimacy, that if you're new to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, okay, you're new to church, this might seem a little old-fashioned or antiquated, but I just want you to understand coming out of the gate today that, that we're talking about this because we need to get a grasp on what is truly best for us. And I'd like to present a perspective that's been around for a really, really long time, over 6,000 years. (laughs) And and in a society that's so saturated with sex and sexuality, we, we need to be reminded about what's actually best for us. We know that somewhere between 40 and 50 million Americans regularly view pornography in our nation are either addicts or close to being addicts. The largest pornographic website in the world has, check this out, 120 million viewers a day. And the largest country with viewers, of course, is the United States. Human trafficking is a global epidemic. This may shock you to know that there are over 45 million people who are, slaves to the sex industry, 45 million around the world. Sex is viewed casually, of course, in most places around the world. Here in the United States, 75% of Americans engage in premarital sex before the age of 20, three out of four. Numerous sexual identities, as we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, have been normalized with even a number of states now passing legislation that mandates that LGBTQ plus curriculum be taught in public schools. So we live in this sex-saturated society. We live in a society that is pressing into sex and intimacy that is far beyond the parameters of God's design so that, listen to me, what I'm gonna share with you today seems almost impossible to achieve. Antiquated, out-of-date, old-fashioned, except for the fact that for those who are followers of Jesus and filled with his Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so I think what I'm presenting today is possible because we know that we serve a God of the possible. And a God who what he gives to us is what's best for us. And so in this sex-saturated society, it may feel to you in the moment like there's not a path forward. Maybe you are addicted to some type of pornography. Maybe you are consumed with lust in your mind or in your heart. Maybe you have ideas about your future with respect to sexual partners or marriage. And... and And those thoughts are leading you astray wherever you are today. Maybe you're in a marriage and this is an issue of struggle for you. Maybe there's not a pattern of regular intimacy, which is God's design for you. Wherever you are today, I want to present something to you to encourage you. And and, and it's this, listen, we're not the first nation. We're not the first Christian men and women who have lived in a sex-saturated society. In fact, we don't even live in the worst version of a sex-saturated society. Listen, we know about places like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We, we know about the Greco-Roman world in which Jesus lived. Okay, going back 2,000 years ago, we know what happened coming out of this Roman society where there were all types of sexual deviancies. It was actually worse for the first generation of Christians than it is for us. The Greco-Roman society, for example, was one where women had no rights whatsoever and men were expected to have sexual interactions with other women outside of their wives. That was the norm. Monogamy was expected of women, but not for men. Prostitution was legal and it was considered a public good. Something known as pederasty. Was commonplace in the Greco Roman society of the first century, meaning that men would have sexual interactions with young boys. It was known and encouraged. So, listen, as bad as it may seem, that it is for us right now, like as as twisted as our society is with respect to sex and all the deviations that are there and all the pressures and all the dynamics, there are certainly some that are unique to us in terms of managing technology and all the rest, but I just want to understand in terms of the fabric of our society, we do not even live in the worst sexual society in the history of the world. And yet in the context of that first century society, in the context of a Greco-Roman culture, that embraced a view of sex and intimacy that was so far outside the parameters of God's will, God inspired the New Testament authors to present a better path forward. And today I want to do the same thing. I want to show you both in terms of, of, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God consistently has presented to us and for us a better path forward. And let me tell you what you find when you come to embrace a sexual ethic consistent with the word and the will of God, it actually elevates women and it dignifies marriage. That's not what the world is doing, by the way. The world is not elevating women and dignifying marriage. But the Christian gospel does exactly that. As we will see today, the Christian gospel presents a view of sexual ethics whereby men and women have the same rights. Women and men are viewed equally. Men do not get a different set of standards no not at all this is not the greco-roman society no actually in that society god gave his word to his people saying no men and women are equal they should serve each other and they should fulfill each other in the context of covenant and and therefore what we're seeing here is something that is in fact a best path forward but it's going to seem a little strange to you especially if you're new to Christianity. But I want to give you a few takeaways, flush out quite a few scriptures today. Some of them may make you blush. And that's okay, they're in the Bible. You need to know them if you don't know them yet. And I, I want us to think through the beauty and the blessing of God's will for you. As a single person, as a married person, wherever you are today, the Lord has a better path forward for all of us with respect. sex and intimacy. So write this down. First thing I want you to see, the gift of sex is most fulfilling in the context of covenant. The gift of sex is most fulfilling in the context of covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant between two people coming together, committing to one another for the rest of their lives. In other words, it was never God's will for, for you to have sexual relations with someone that you're not committed to for the rest of your life. As we think about sex today, listen, our society approaches it as just some type of physical dynamic, physical fulfillment that doesn't carry tremendous consequences. That is absolutely wrong. You see, the gift of sex is actually given to us, and therefore it's most fulfilling to us when it's shared and celebrated in the context of marriage, in the context of covenant. And to think about sex without thinking about marriage, okay, is like talking about the University of Florida without talking about college football, right? Or to talk about Florida State without talking about college football. Like if you're trying to talk about a team without talking about the broader context of football, talking about the team doesn't make any sense, Like, if you talk with someone who doesn't know anything about football, and I can't imagine how awful of an existence that might be, okay? But, like, if you ever talk to somebody who doesn't know anything about football and you say, hey, let me tell you about my favorite team. Have you ever heard of the Gators? You ever, whoever it is, right? Like, if they don't have a context of football, then what you're sharing with them about your team doesn't make any sense to them. And in the same way, I want you to understand, if you think of sex as something that's enjoyed and expressed outside the parameters of marriage you don't actually understand why sex exists you can't fully understand it its beauty and its benefits without first understanding the context of covenant you see sex is ultimately about covenant it's it's it fulfills its purpose right not in isolated moments with isolated partners No, sex fulfills its purpose in the context of covenant. And and sex is to be repeatedly enjoyed and expressed in the context of covenant as a means of of consummating the covenant and renewing the covenant. It's, It's the deepest, most intimate form of consummation and renewal that we have. Tim Keller said it this way, sex is a collaborative covenant renewal ceremony in which two covenant partners confirm, celebrate and deepen their one flesh union. You see, sex is a good gift that should be enjoyed and celebrated. It's a means of cultivating intimacy and fulfillment in a marriage. It's a means of drawing two people closer together. It has dynamics that extend far beyond just the physical, which is why when you, engage in any type of sexual activity outside the parameters of covenant, you accelerate some dynamics in the relationship that can be incredibly harmful. Because those dynamics are only intended to be experienced in the context of a covenant relationship. And I want you to understand, for those of you in this context of covenant, or those of you who plan to be one day, listen, God's will for you is that you share in sexual intimacy regularly. See, I thought there would be some amens there. I I mean, I just, I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but I kind of thought that would be a moment like, you know, y'all be like, "Woo! so glad I came to church today. My pastor's tell me to have sex if I'm married. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Regularly. Still no amens. Okay, but I'm just telling you. Like, <laughs> see, some people throughout the history of the church have taken the approach of, well, you know, if I have these physical desires, and um, I struggle with them, well, the solution is to like ignore them all and don't ever, um, you know, participate in 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 those things that our desires are pointing us to. And 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 obviously, there are desires we have that we celebrate outside the parameters of God's will, and we should not absolutely move in those. Arenas, But here's what some people have done over the years. They've tried to say, well, you know, sex, we just don't have sex. Don't get married. There have, been, there have been people over the years who have kind of taken that view and that approach. There were people in the first century in this Greco-Roman culture that was worse than ours saying, okay, now that we're Christians, first-generation Christians, they didn't have anybody in their lives they could look back toward to say, help me understand. No, 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 they were first-generation Christians, right? They were kind of the guinea pigs. And so they're trying to understand how does the gospel apply to their bedrooms, And some of them were like, well, you know what? It's better not to even have those desires. And so they were writing to the Apostle Paul saying, hey, can you just kind of help us understand how these feelings should be navigated? And there are some who basically said, hey, would you just kind of confirm, like, we shouldn't be having sex at all. Like, we shouldn't have any of these desires. And Paul writes back and says, you are crazy. No, those desires are good desires that God's given you in the context of covenant, right? The devil's game is always distortion. To take what God has given us in terms of good desires and lead us to use those desires in inappropriate ways, harmful ways. Paul's gonna say, I wanna show this to you here in a moment, that no, the desires that God's given you for sex and intimacy, if you have them, right? Like, like, those are good. Like, it's meant to make you and your spouse closer. It's meant to be a gift to you. It's a one flesh union going back to Genesis. This is, this is God's will. So let me just show you 1 Corinthians 7. So Paul says, now here's the question you asked me, right? All right, 1 Corinthians seven one. He says, yes, it's, It's good to abstain from sexual relations. This is what they were saying, like, okay, we wanna walk with the Lord, we're we're, we're gonna honor him in this sex saturated society, no sex at all. Paul says, no, look at verse two, no, because there's so much sexual immorality, every man should have his own wife and every woman her own husband, and the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Men are not the only human beings with sexual desires. See, I thought there'd be some ladies there. Okay, all right, we're fine. That's all right. All right. It's not not a one-way street. That's okay, ladies. That's okay. And I just want you to see how Christianity elevates women here. The husband should be concerned about the wife, not himself. And he should fulfill his wife's needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Look at this, verse four, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. This was radical and revolutionary in the Greco-Roman society of Corinth. The husband and the wife have equal rights. And so then verse five, this ought to be your scripture memory verse for the week. (laughs) All right, if you're married, okay, now don't put it in your cubicle where others can see it. Put it in your car. Okay, it might look a little weird at work. Okay, but here's your scripture memory verse for the week. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. But then afterward, in other words, this isn't a six-month period of time. Okay, if you're praying for six months and you're married without sex, okay, you are praying inappropriately. This is not a six-month period you know, prayer retreat, okay? Paul says you ought to come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because your lack of self-control. Satan's gonna lead you, your flesh is gonna lead you to use those desires wrongly, inappropriately with all the different outlets that I've already mentioned that are available to us today. And so look at what Paul says 2,000 years ago. People are like, okay, I guess we just shouldn't have sex. We shouldn't even lean into those desires. Paul's saying, no, this is a gift from God. This is something that's good. This is something to be enjoyed and celebrated. You just got to make sure it's celebrated enjoyed in the right context. That's marriage. Don't put it outside of marriage. That's like talking about the Gators or the Seminoles without talking about college football. Like, no, you should never think of it that way. You should only think of it as something in the context of covenant that deepens your relationship, that brings you together, and that connects you with your spouse, not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And so Paul actually says, you ought to have sex regularly. You actually shouldn't have long periods of time where you're not intimate with your spouse. I mean, if you have an agreed period of time where maybe you're going to focus on prayer and overcoming some issues in your marriage, that's obviously understandable. Paul says, that's fine. Mark that out. Pray to the Lord. Work on what you need to work on. Get some help. You know, we're all in this together. But he says, then you need to come back together. And and this has always been God's design. So let me, let me show you just a couple of scriptures here just to show you, again, if you're If you're thinking, well, God's view of sex is antiquated and old-fashioned. No, actually, God is is incredibly pro-sex because he, he invented it. He gave it to us. He made us for it. In the context of covenant, Genesis 2, this is the reason, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is, look at this, joined to his wife and the two are one flesh, united into one. There's something happens here in this union that is deeper than just the physical, which is all our society presents it to be. No, this is a deep connection. That leads to this, verse 25, the man and the wife are both naked and they are not ashamed. They have intimacy without shame. Do you know why the woman got her name woman? Many of you don't know this. Because when the man saw her walking naked through the garden, he said, whoa, man. And that was her name. <laughs> Whoa, man! And it was good. God made them with no clothes, right? And there's no shame. There's this precious intimacy. There's this one flesh union, and and in the context of covenants, shared and it's celebrated, and it's beautiful. It's not selfish. It's it's um. It's, it's, it's not just physical, it's so much deeper than that. That's the power of it, right? So Song of Solomon says this. Is, okay, I can't, I can't believe I'm about to read these in church, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I just want you to see, I know many of you are new to the Bible. I just want you to see God is not anti-setic. This is not old fashioned. This is not, oh, you know, the church is just down. on No, no, no. You know what the, you know what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has always done? Elevate women and dignify marriage. And this goes back even before the Greco Roman culture. This goes back to the days of Solomon, right? He says, Oh, beautiful, how beautiful you are, my love. How pleasing, how full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. Now, watch this. This is about to get crazy. I said, I'm going to climb that palm tree and take hold of its fruit. <laughs> oh, man. In case you're wondering what I was thinking about all night last night, it was like, should I, should I keep this in my notes? And uh, I did. I apologize if that offends you, but it's the Bible. All right. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. This is God's gift. Proverbs 5. This is Solomon now talking to his children. He's warning them of the dangers of sexual intimacy outside of covenant. Look at what he says. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Like Solomon didn't even know about Tinder. He didn't know about Instagram, right? Like, isn't that a powerful word? Don't ever share it with a stranger. He says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer and a graceful doe. <laughs> <No. laughs> Baby, you such a nice deer. You know, I don't know. but." She, she's a loving dear, a graceful devil. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. I just want you to see, okay? This is just a sampling of what the scripture teaches with respect to this intimacy. It's not perverted, it's not selfish, right? It's not just for indulging one's desires. No, it's it's so much deeper than that. And 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 therefore Solomon saying to his sons, like, listen, this is God's will for you in covenant. And for those of you who are new to church, this is gonna be super strange, but I want you to understand the most fulfilling sex is found in the context of marriage. And everything our society is pushing to you with respect to intimacy is a lie. Multiple partners, casual encounters, selfish indulgence, that's not the path forward. All of that leads to brokenness what's best for you and what's most fulfilling is what's found in terms of God's will for you and that's the gift of sex being expressed and received in the context of covenant because here's what happens when you engage in sexual activity you involve much more than just the physical you involve your emotional person and your spiritual person and it'll mess you up. You see, your whole person is involved. That's why giving your whole person to your spouse in the safe context of covenant is so important. Because your whole person is involved. Listen, there's a line from a movie like years and years ago, um, Tom Cruise movie. I've actually never seen it, so I have no idea what the movie's like in terms of content. And all that. But I, there's a line from it I, I read recently where... There's something even from a secular perspective I thought was profound because it emulates the will of God. The movie is about, um, it's called Vanilla Sky. It's about um, Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz they, they, and their characters. They, they have this casual sexual relationship. Cameron Diaz's character really loves Tom Cruise's character, but Tom Cruise only views her kind of at a friendship level, and they have casual sex. There's nothing deeper than that. And then at some point in the movie, Tom Cruise meets another woman that he really is interested in, and he pursues a relationship with her. And when he does that, he cuts off the other relationship with Cameron Diaz's character. And then Cameron Diaz's character goes crazy. Starts doing all this crazy stuff. She's trying to get Tom Cruise's character killed and all this. And there, at some point in the movie, there's this con- conflict, and there's this conversation where Tom Cruise's character is like, hey, what in the world are you doing and you know there's just like well we've been together and da 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 and and then Cameron Diaz's character makes this statement listen to this she says this when you sleep with someone your body makes promises even if you don't and i have no idea who wrote that film i have no idea who penned those words but that is 100% true When you have sex with someone, your body makes promises, even if you don't. And that's why the gift of sex is given in the context of covenant. And that's why a second takeaway, okay, write this down. I want you to see that that leads us to the second takeaway. Okay, sexual distortion carries devastating consequences. Because your body's making promises that involve your heart and your mind. And when those promises are being made and you're being drawn into this relationship, it's never just physical, by the way. Man, that leads to a distortion that brings devastating consequences. And I want you to understand, okay, even those of you who've you know, been around a while, you know, you know the Bible. I know there's a lot of people in the Bible that have a lot of sex outside of marriage. I want you to hear me very clearly on this. You will never find a single situation in the Bible, in human history, where someone has sex outside of marriage without devastating consequences. The Lord never endorses sex outside of covenant. And you can look at David and you can look at Solomon and you can look at some of these heroes of our faith and they were men who loved the Lord, but they were also men who made really big mistakes. And there have been people throughout the years to wrongly suggest, well, look at the Bible. There's all this, you know, um, uh, sexual immorality and and there's all of this um, unfaithful, yeah. And you know what you'll see in every one of these situations? Devastating consequences. The Lord doesn't endorse that. Because any distortion of God's design leads to devastation. Daniel Heinbach said this, sex wraps physical pleasure, emotional satisfaction, psychological fulfillment and spiritual meaning into one complex relationship. That's why the apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, check this out. He said, run from sexual sin, run from it. Put up every safeguard, Imaginable if you need to do so. Be the weird person. Do whatever you have to do. Who cares if people make fun of you? Who cares if people don't understand? Run from sexual sin. Get whatever help you need to get. Put safeguards up that you need to put. Don't what? Who cares what other people think that you're not married to? let me tell you, I'm, I'll leave this on the screen, but listen, guys especially, okay? With pornography and all the apps available to us and traveling for business and working on, guys, just listen to me. Are all these people that you're worried about that you might be embarrassed in front of to talk about why your phone is set up differently or why you don't have certain apps and why you have certain safeguards and why you don't go certain places. Let me ask you this. When your wife leaves you and your children hate you, are those people gonna be there to pick up the pieces for you? No, they will not. So why are you so worried about them right now? Why are you so worried about you being embarrassed about, how about you worry about not losing your kids? How about you worry about not losing your witness? How about you worry about not losing your wife? How about you worry about the things that matter? And if you struggle, which most of us are gonna struggle at some point, that's why there's so much of this in the word of God, right? To help us. Why not get the help that you need? Why not put the safeguards in place? Why not just do what others will see as radical, but you know is right? Why are you trying to live your life in such a way that by indulging your flesh and appeasing the opinions of others, you're willing to risk your family and your future? Why? Paul says this, run from sexual sin. Don't walk. Don't scoot. Don't moonwalk. <laughs> run. Run. Now, why? Look at this. This is what I'm telling you. Okay. Sexual distortion carries devastating consequences. As you said, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. It's unique. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You don't realize it. you're messing with your relational spiritual wiring. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. And so you must honor God with your body. You see, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs first to Jesus and second to your spouse. And so, ladies, let me say to you, those of you who are single, when you're dating someone and he's wanting to engage in activity that you know you shouldn't be, or frankly, sometimes when you're tempted to, what you need to do is remind yourself that Before anything happens, permission needs to be granted by Jesus. Which is why I tell students, hey, when that guy wants to put a little pressure on you to do something, just stop him right there and say, hey, listen, that's all fine. I'm for it. But we just need to ask Jesus first. (laughs) See what he says. Do you know why you need to ask Jesus first? Because your body belongs to him. He made you. He redeemed you. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. He has a great plan and purpose for you. And you don't get to do whatever you want to do with your body because when you came to Jesus, you placed yourself under the umbrella of his loving, gracious, protective care, believing his will for you is best. Paul says, when you engage in sexual sin, it will wreck you in ways that no other sin will. It will. It will wreck you. And you... You don't ultimately belong to you. And so this means you need to honor God with your body in every situation. Ladies, let me say this to you. I want you to hear this clearly, okay? You are not mere objects of men's viewing pleasure. And men, that's a good word for us to be reminded of. Women are not objects. But, but young ladies in particular, I want to say this to you. Stop going on social media and presenting yourself as an object. If you don't want men to objectify you, then stop objectifying yourself. And let me tell you where we are culturally. I think this is unique. It's not just the men that have a problem. I don't know if you've been to the beach lately, lately, but there's a new phenomenon every time I go to the beach. It's all these girls in scantily clad bikinis taking selfies in groups to post on social media. And it breaks my heart every time I see it because I'm like, those precious girls are so much more than objects. And if you want a man to be drawn to you simply on the basis of how you look, you're going to be devastated with the reality that there are a lot of men who will only come to you on that basis and nothing more. And I think God has a better plan for your life than that. And for me to say to men, which is true, we need to run from sexual immorality. We need to do whatever we need to do. If we're the weird ones, so be it. I also need to say to the young women in the room, stop posting yourself on social media as merely an object and start respecting yourself as the beautiful image bearer you are. See, this is 1 Corinthians 6. This is whenever you engage in sexual activity outside of the will of God, it's going to bring unique and devastating consequences. So we're to run from sexual sin. Run, 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 run. Okay, just a couple more references here. 1 Thessalonians 4. God's will is for you to be holy, Paul says. So stay away from all sexual sin. He said this 2,000 years ago, right? (laughs) Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 13 and verse four, give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. This is a big deal. You're not gonna do this without serious consequences, right? Proverbs seven, let me go back to Solomon talking to his sons. Listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray toward her. He's talking about this, this, um, this immoral woman. He's talking about this, this, this sexual relationship outside of marriage. Don't wander down that wayward path. She has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom, listen to this, is the den of death. What you think is going to happen is not going to happen. You're going to get a little bit of physical fulfillment and potentially ruin your life because of it. And you look back, like countless men have over the years with tremendous regret, saying it wasn't worth it. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. And then um, lastly, Proverbs 6, he says, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty and sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Look at this. Can a man scoop up a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? And what our society is telling us is that you can put fire in your lap and not burn your clothes. You can welcome pornography into your life and not be distorted. You can engage in conversations with other women online and through various apps and not be distorted. You can engage in various behaviors, lustful thinking, right? Questionable behavior and not somehow be burned by it. And here's God's will for us. Okay, He's given us a gift of sex and it's presented to us here like a fire. But that fire can either warm your marriage and be a blessing to your house or it can burn it down. And a fire in a fireplace is good for heat and it's good for cooking. Not in Florida, but other places across the country, okay? I have a fireplace in my house. It is the most useless thing in my house, okay? Have never used it, will never use it. Say, what do you do when it's 55 degrees? I go outside in a tank top and I just soak it all in, right? Okay, but you know, even though you also have a useless fireplace, a fire contained there can be a blessing. You know what it can also do if it's not contained? Burn your house down. And here's what God has done. He's given us like, like a campfire. He's given us a kind of a rock parameter, like some type of parameter in which that fire can be enjoyed without having it burn down the forest. And you know what the parameter is? Marriage. I've already shown you, God's not anti-sex. God's not opposed to your fulfillment in marriage. But you know what God has done? This is not restrictive, this is protective he's saying there's a right way for you to enjoy this without burning your life down. And that's what the scriptures teach throughout. That's what Solomon said to his sons. Don't let the fire tear your house down. And, and so we're seeing here that the gift of sex should be Enjoyed. It's most fulfilling in the context of covenant. When you deviate from that, it'll bring devastating consequences. That means we ought to order our lives appropriately. And then lastly, let me just give you a good word here, because I know there's a lot of people with us today and a lot of people online with us, and maybe there's a lot of conviction today. So let let me leave you here with the hope of the gospel. Sexual temptation and sexual consequences can only be overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. And they can be. You see, this is not the world. This is not, well, just try better. No, 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 no. This is, don't try better. This is run to Jesus. And through his power and his enabling, I'm telling you, he will lead you to live a life that is most fulfilling. He can give you the strength to overcome. He can give you the grace that's required. But you'll only find it in him. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want to encourage you and challenge you to turn from your selfishness and turn to him for salvation. If you know him as your savior today, I want to challenge you and encourage you to run away from your sin and run to him. If you're married, I want to encourage you to run toward Jesus in the context of your marriage by having a lot of sex. Again, no response. Okay, but I just, (laughs) y'all need this word apparently, okay? I'm just telling you. The will of God is the answer for you. And Jesus is there like to bless you, to encourage you in this. And and then listen, when we stray and when we struggle, here's the hope of the gospel, okay? We have a savior who meets us where we are and we have a savior who forgives every sin. And yes, the devastation of sexual sin brings unique consequences, but we have a savior who can save every single sin. And there is no sin and no shame so deep that Jesus can't meet us there. There is no marriage so broken that Jesus cannot fix it. And so here's what the scripture says. We give two two more scriptures and we're done. 1 Corinthians 10. So if you think you're standing strong today, be careful not to fall. For the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, don't let the devil isolate you thinking, well, I'm unique. You're not unique. Okay, we're all in this together. Trust me, we're all in this together. But God is faithful. And he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The question today is, are you willing to endure? Are you willing to do the right things? Are you willing to take a stand? Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to get help? Do you really believe God's will is best? Because if you do, you have a Savior who will give you the power to live how you need to live. He will provide a way of escape. He will provide blessing to you. He will provide healing to you. You just gotta, you gotta find it in Him. And if you're willing to humble yourself and get the help you need and the accountability, the encouragement, prayer, whatever it is today, man, the Lord will meet you where you are. And then lastly, if if you feel for some reason overwhelmed, there's been some sin in your life, some pattern of behavior, and today you're like sitting there and you're just like shrinking in your seat. You're like, oh my goodness, There's a shame and guilt. I just want you to hear me loud and clear. Jesus will meet you where you are. He will forgive you. He will restore you. And more than that, he will use you for his glory. And you know what Jesus has a history of doing? Taking broken people, some of whom have made some pretty big mistakes and messed things up, and not just saving them and redeeming them, but using them in a profound way. And don't you think for a minute that you are beyond the grace of God, you are not. And I'm mindful of a woman that Jesus met who was a Samaritan, right? And came up upon Jacob's well and asked her for a drink of water. And she was amazed that he would even talk to her. She was a woman with a lot of shame. She was a woman with a lot of sexual sin. She was a woman with a lot of humiliation and embarrassment. And when Jesus began to talk to her, he began to delve into her past. And he asked her, if you remember, to go get your husband, he said to her. And she's like, well, I don't have a husband. He said, you know what, you're right. Actually, you've had five and you're shacking up with a guy right now you're not even married to. She had a lot of sexual sin. She had a lot of twisted identity. But Jesus met her where she was. And he told her as she drew water out of that well, that he's the living water. And he's the living water that can change every person in every situation. He is the living water who can redeem even the unredeemable. And as Jesus brought salvation to that woman, she went into her town and she said, you guys, you gotta come meet this man who's told me everything I've ever done. What used to be shameful is now redeemable and usable in the kingdoms of God. She said, you got to come talk to this man who told me everything I ever did. Prior to meeting Jesus, she would have never talked about everything she ever did. Now she's saying, you know what, I'm I'm not embarrassed by it anymore. Jesus has saved me from it. I'm not talking about to glorify it. I'm just telling you, I've met a man who's forgiven it. And let me show you what happened. Verse 39 in John chapter four, many Samaritans from the village, they believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. This woman once embarrassed, humiliated, ashamed, an outcast in her society, numerous sexual partners, right, numerous failed marriages. When she met Jesus, he met her where she was. He forgave her of her sin, he gave her a reason to live and she went into the town, not just forgiven, she went into the town as a witness for Jesus in verse 40 so when they came out to see jesus they begged him to stay in their village so he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe and then they said to the woman now we believe not just because of what you have told us but because we have heard him ourselves and now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world Jesus saves the shamed. He saves the humiliated. He he saves those who are embarrassed. He saves those who, who are Jews, who are Gentiles, who are Samaritans. He saves men. He saves women. He is the Savior of the world. And Jesus, yes, Jesus. Oh, aren't you so glad for this? He brings beauty out of our brokenness. And so if you're in a marriage and this is an issue for you for whatever reason, memorize your memory verse for this week and get going. (laughs) All right? Man, let the blessing of God just be evident in your marriage, right? And if there's a struggle, right? Like we're here for you. Okay, we're not gonna do a come forward invitation today. <laughs> all right, because ain't nobody coming down front today. All right, but listen, email me. All right, my it's everything's confidential. Um, connect with us at the roundtables today. You don't have to give a reason. Just if we can just pray with you, if we can encourage you, we're listen. We're all in this together. And when the devil seeks to isolate you, I'm here to remind you by the power of the Holy Spirit today that you are not alone. You're not the only person. You're not the only couple. So get the help you need. And if you're single today, last thing, I want to challenge you to be faithful to your spouse. You say, well, I don't know who that is yet. Well, you will one day. And trust me, you're going to want to say to him or her, I've been faithful to you. And I just want to challenge you to lean into the will of God at its best. And when there's any shame or guilt or embarrassment, to come to Christ, to receive his forgiveness, to delight in his salvation. And God won't just meet you where you are, he'll use you to change the trajectory of others. This is the power of Jesus.